What's going on, guys? John Papaloni here. We are doing the John Papaloni Show podcast today. We're going to have Leo, my the mortgage broker, Leo Sally, coming on, and we're going to be talking what's going on in the market today. I um, I'm excited about this one. Trying to uh, let me see. Sorry, just adjusting my uh, headphones. There, there we go. And um, yeah, I'm excited today. It's going to be. Uh, really good it's going to be very informative we're just waiting for him to come on hope you guys are having a great day it is looking great outside it's not that cold it is perfect time to be outdoors amazing amazing days i mean lots of good things happening the market is hot we already know that and uh yeah there's going to be a lot of things coming up in the market um there's talk about mortgage uh, rates going up there's talking about um Mortgage rates coming up. I mean, sometimes we, some places we have seen the uh, bidding has been uh, dropping. I'm uh, not completely off the market. I mean, but like, you know, less than normal. Um, there's been some houses around uh, that have actually gone without bidding wars where have actually sold with the normal proper listing price. So yeah, lots of things happen. It's very exciting. Just, uh, yeah, what else can I say, man? Like, I, I mean, I'm excited. This is, this is happy times, happy, happy times, which is good. Glad to be here. If you guys have any questions, you can type it up in the uh, comments. I will uh, see it and I will uh, gladly answer it. And uh, yeah, that, that that's pretty much what I can say. Like, uh, uh, you know, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. It's the John Papaloni Show. If uh, you've seen him in the uh, in the past, you'll. Uh, I hope you you know. Thank you for supporting. Um, I do have the audio version that does go out on uh, Thursday mornings. Uh, you can get them through uh, Apple, I, you know, Apple Podcasts, whether it's Google, Podbean, Anchor, um, pretty much anywhere that you do podcasts, you can download it on Thursdays or you can do the videos every Wednesday. We do them live on Facebook and uh, YouTube and Twitter. And uh, anyways, Leo's here. We're going to put him on. Hey, Leo, what's going on? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. How's the sound on your end? Uh, sounds good. Hopefully, my sound quality is okay. I don't have mic as you do. Absolutely. Perfectly fine, man. Perfectly, perfectly fine. So, yeah, I was just saying, you know, just talking about my podcasting, a lot of things are happening in the market. Uh, you know, there's lots of different things. And, um, oh, I got a comment. And, uh, yeah, a lot of different things going on. There's going to be... Um, changes from what i understand but we're going to talk you know about that and uh yeah like like some of the things that have happened is like you know we just spent the last two months in uh multiple bids you know like where we were getting as much as 30 40 and i think the highest one i heard was 72 bids and for one house which is absolutely ridiculous but hey that's the market it's overheated but that's the way we're going. But I mean, I've noticed some uh, changes in the market where we've actually had houses go and uh, they actually sold with the proper uh, listing prices and no actual bid days. Um, that wasn't happening up till now. So it shows that maybe there's going to be a little ease on the market coming up. So uh, I, I don't see that. I, I think that's more of uh, for marketing of the agent themselves and the timing of it. Um, to, to, most of the market, especially in my area in Kitchen Waterloo, is nonstop. Nonstop. Right. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the majority, but I, I, like before, I would say before the last week, 
everything was bid. I never saw one single listing that did not have an offer date. This week was the first time I saw a few that were like that. So I found that pretty interesting. Um, again, there's uh, there's talk about mortgage rates. Have you heard anything about that? Like, like what's going on with mortgages? So the mortgage rates um, depends if you're looking at asking about variable or fixed, but the fixed is connected with a bond market and the bond market has been moving up the last couple of weeks. And uh, accordingly, the lenders start increasing the, uh, the rates. Depends on one lender to another. Some uh, jump from the first to increase and increase their rates and then jumped again uh, early this week to increase again. Uh, and some, they waited till they actually get consistency for a couple of weeks and then they increased the rates. But uh, in general, um, starting Monday, pretty much all, all lenders pretty much increased their rates. Okay. Uh, but I don't know. We don't know if it's going to be like long term or just like for, for a few weeks or months and maybe in April, May, May might drop again. We don't know. But uh, not by much. So basically about uh, 30 basis points, so 0.3% estimates. Um, no, that's not too bad. Still the, the rates are still the rates are incredibly low. Don't get me wrong. Like they're not as expensive as ever. They're just cheaper, uh, more expensive than the cheap rates we saw at the end of the year and early this year. Uh, now, probably they're still cheaper than how they were in June or July last year. The rates right now, they are cheaper than that. So the rate's still very cheap. Yeah, that's exactly. Like right now yeah. is the time to uh, to borrow if you're going to do it. So let me ask you, what, like 2020 has been an interesting year. Like it's just, everything's been odd and weird. And it's not normal. I mean, we obviously know it's because of that pandemic and stuff. But like, what have you found? Like in terms of, have you found a lot more first-time buyers in the market? Or have you uh, just found more people reinvesting? Like, what has been your experience in terms on the mortgage side? Uh, it's it's a mix. A lot of personal home buyers jumped on. Uh, they uh, that the pandemic didn't scare them. Uh, the time was right in terms of their down payments and uh, uh, their jobs and income. So a lot of people did not get affected uh, job-wise with, with the pandemic because uh, they adapted and started working from home, especially high-end income. Uh, so a lot of first-time uh, buyers in that sector, they just jumped in. They didn't, they didn't hesitate because of COVID. And also investors. Also investors. Yeah, some investors yeah. stopped. Yeah, some uh, investors stopped in like towards mid-March or whatever. I remember I had an investor who had an offer in a house in uh, March. And he backed out because he didn't know what was happening. Um, looking back at it now, he, he wishes he didn't stop because the price is particularly higher right now, more than 20% almost, uh, for what uh, he could have paid then. Absolutely. I had that experience yesterday, actually, where um, I had someone call me that was referred to me by another agent. They wanted to buy a house in uh, Hamilton. And what ended up happening is he had a rental in Hamilton already before. And, um, he had some bad luck as that happens sometimes. And, uh, his house ended up, he rented the wrong people and he ended up having some, um, let's just say they had to, they, let's just say some illegal activity was being done in the house. So he went through, uh, you know, for better, for lack of better term, he went through hell to, you know, to get rid of the people and have all the, uh, you know, have everything solved because, you know, it got caught basically, not him. The the tenants got caught and obviously that affects him as the landlord. 
So once that it was all resolved and done with, he got he was fed up. He wanted out, so he decided he was going to sell the thing, and um, so he sold it, uh, got his money, got actually pretty decent money at the time. So he was happy, but now he wanted to come back into the market because you know time has gone by and he's not angry anymore. So he comes back and uh, he wants to buy. So he gives me his budget and he says, uh, "This is what I'm looking for. How close can we get?" And I looked at him and I said. If you're not willing to get a mortgage, even with that cash, I'm going to go, unless you're getting a mortgage, you're out of the market. He was just blown away. And he's and, and like sitting there going, he goes, we're talking about, this is less than three years away, a difference. Three years ago, he had that place in cash, made profit, and he can't even buy back in with the same money and not even nope. something smaller. So he was just blown away. You know what I mean? So it comes back down to whenever you have the ability to buy, now is the time to buy. The best time was yesterday. That's my theory. Like, that's my theory. That's always been my theory. And, and it'll continue to be my theory. Um, so, a friend of mine who's a realtor as well, uh, sorry to interrupt, but he has a similar uh, mindset. He always say it's like a moving train, real estate market. And Whenever you get the chance to jump in, jump in. Don't hesitate to say it's going to slow down or whatever because um, history have been on the sides of people who jumped in, not the people who waited. I know Absolutely. people who in 2016, uh, you know the crazy market in the end of 2016, how it started going crazy in 2016 and and everybody was like, oh, this market is unsustainable, it's going to be a bubble and burst and all of that. And uh, obviously, who didn't buy then regret it because from 2016, five years in, uh, and the market is way ridiculous. Almost, I wouldn't say double, but almost. Yeah, that, that's true. It's and that's the thing, right? A lot of times people are expecting it, um, you know, like to go up, 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 nonstop, right? But if you look at history, it is not. It's not like you're making your seven percent a year. Like, look at the forty-year history. What ends up happening is, I believe, I heard the number was about seven percent on average. Right, but it's not seven percent this year, seven percent next year, and it fluctuates. So a lot of times people are looking for that downturn, but the downturn doesn't happen the way people think. So what ends up happening is we'll take year one, it goes up maybe five percent. So it looks like okay, it's not seven. Year two, it went up fourteen percent. Sounds great, we're on a good roll. Well, the following year you might break even. The year after that it might come down two percent, but then it goes back up eighteen percent as an example. I mean, usually not eighteen percent. It's been eighteen percent this year, but that's abnormal. Let's, but, but, but the point is, if you take that 40-year average, it works out to be 7%. And there's no way you can time the market like, like you know, some people are thinking they could. Because what ends up happening is, we'll even go back to what you were saying, the 2016. Let's look at what happened there. 2016, the market's going up, up, up. And it peaked around in 2017. And that's when government regulations got in there to intervene, which I'll get into what happens after the story. The point is, 2017 and peaked. We'll take the average home in Toronto that was at $1.5 million and it was 1.55, some silly number like that. And then February 2018, I believe, was recorded as the official crash. The number went down to about a million and 20 or something like that as the average. And then a lot of persons says, wow, you know, if I had bought, I would have lost 500,000. But what they don't realize is when we started this calculation, the home started at 650. In 2015 and 2016, when the numbers were going up, the home prices started between 650 and 750 as the average. So now, even going down, you're still higher 
than the, uh, the that, that start point that everyone was waiting for it to come down from. So you're never going to catch what you were waiting for. You're always going to miss the boat. And look, two years later, two and a half years later, the averages are already back to where they were. And in some areas, they're even higher than where they were. So the point I'm getting at is it's not a game where you buy it like a stock. You buy it, hold it for six months. You make a big return and sell it, get rid of it, and see you later. You know what I mean? Real estate is really a 10-year investment, a minimum, in my opinion. And, and real estate doubles every 10-year on average. So that's been my experience and what I've seen just looking at stats and market updates and stuff like that. What what I would uh, add to that is is the uh, the people who win. In my opinion, I don't think in my opinion I don't think the market is gonna uh, crash or none of that. I don't think it's gonna slow down. And even if it does, there will be no maybe increase in the prices, but it's not gonna drop down. Um, a lot of people think, oh, the government shouldn't intervene or do something, or oh, how people cannot afford it, how what they're gonna do. Um, the reality is there's a lot of people around the world, like if you look at Europe, for example, uh, England, Germany, uh, most people don't even think about buying a home. Majority of people just rent their whole life. And that's just the way life is there because you cannot afford it. It's just too ridiculously expensive. So because of, uh, of that's the norm there, it's not the norm here in, in, in Canada and in North America in general, but with the trends and, and how people immigrating here and with the... Uh, the way how developments are happening too slow uh, with, with the increase of the, the, num the new numbers of, of units or homes or condos every year. Uh, I think we're heading towards that direction, maybe not as fast, but I think at some point, if continue this trend, um, a lot of people will not be able to buy. Well, that's the thing, right? Here's well, the thing, right? I believe it's Australia, and I could be wrong, but I believe it was Australia that what happens is you got one generation that buys it, gets the mortgage, and it's actually the second generation that pays it off, not the first. And I think that's kind of what could be happening as well. I mean, I'm not sure about Australia, but I know Japan. I know Japan. I think Japan, they have 100 years of authorization or something like that. But that's my point. So it's not even the first generation that pays it. It's the second. Correct. Right? So, And that's my point. I mean, even with our prices today, if you look at Toronto, compare it to New York, compare it to some of the other places out there, our prices are still undervalued in comparison to those places. So I, I, you know, again, things have changed, but it's, this all illustrates how important it is to invest in real estate when you have the opportunity, how, you know, long-term it could be one of the better investments you can make, you know, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And that, that's the thing I keep hearing. That's the saying I believe in. And again, over time, this thing can build, right? Like I hear a lot of people that I've dealt with, right? They're worried about overpaying. Oh, I don't want to get ripped off. I don't want to overpay. But at the same time, you're going to always be behind the ball with that attitude. At some point in time, your budget will no longer allow you to be able to afford it. You won't even be able to get in the market, let alone overpay or underpay. I get it. But you have to look at long term. In that period, how long are you going to hold on to the house? Take the average. Are you really overpaying? And so far, I mean, I'm not saying go out and find a house at 700000 and offer them $2 million. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, you know, reasonable logic. Things go up 7% on average. Take that 7%. How long are you going to keep that house for? How long are you going to be in there? Can you get financing for the price that you're going to offer? And if the answer is yes to all that, it can't be a bad deal. Long term, hey, you know what? Find other ways. You can, you can turn the house you're living in into a rental spot. 
If you have a separate entrance for your basement, why not rent out the basement and live upstairs? At least it covers some of your payments. It'll help you save money, pay that investment off, or help you save the money so you can buy a second investment and get another income. I mean, that's just all avenues you can use to build wealth over time, right? Nothing. There's no silver bullet where you wake up one day, says, oh, I got a couple hundred grand. Here you go. Ooh, I'm a billionaire. doesn't work that way. So, I mean, these are just some strategy to get into the market, to build. And, and when you have a rental unit, believe it or correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're having a rental unit and you're, or you're renting part of your house, wouldn't that income contribute to uh, your mortgage? Uh, if you have a rental unit or uh, uh, you have a legal basement unit, uh, then yes, it would. Absolutely. And of for, course, qualification, for qualification, yeah. Yeah, so that helps too. Right, so sometimes you got to put down your ego and do what it takes to get in the market. You can always adjust later on when the when the equity and the money builds up. I agree. I agree with you. So with that being said, um, yeah, you were saying so. There's a mix of uh, first-time buyers and investors. Like I found, there's more first-time buyers coming out since the pandemic, and um, I'm not saying that they're the only ones out there, but I'm just saying number of calls that I used to get versus the ones I get today. There's more of them that are first-time buyers than there used to be. So, which is a good thing. That means they have confidence in the market. And being at home, obviously, caused, you know, gave them the ability to save more money so they can have a bigger down payment where before they were going out, spending it, or whatever it is. So, the pandemic, in a way, helped people's bank accounts grow. So, that's kind of a good thing. Not the pandemic, but the bank accounts growing. So, and, and, and it's good to see that they see value in investing it into real estate so that's kind of a good thing it's a very positive thing and uh yeah so but that being said um it goes back it goes down to another thing like the, a lot of times you hear about the economy and certain businesses have been decimated like the entertainment business it's pretty much gone the restaurant business it's not good right not for all some are okay but it's you know what i mean a lot of things but i mean i watched uh i'm not sure if you know who benjamin tell is but I, I watched him, and he's an economist with the CIBC, and I watched his seminar, and he pointed out some facts that a lot of the jobs in the economy that were lost were low-wage jobs. So, Very true. Yeah, so that really doesn't affect the uh, real estate industry as much as people would think. Because to be honest, let's face it, the low-wage jobs, you're not going to get a mortgage for a million dollars in that income that, bracket anyways. That's, that's exactly what I said. I said it last year. And I might have even said it in, in, uh, in a conversation with you even. Um, uh, the same thing. I've been saying this since last year. Most of the job lost, unfortunate, uh, of course. But most of them are not, uh, they're not in the market to buy most of them because the income is not that high. So the majority of people who are with high income, uh, let's talk police officers, teachers, doctors, nurses, None of them got affected by this. Um, uh, you know, IT uh, companies, IT employees, uh, software engineers, uh, all of those high-end incomes, none of them really got affected by, uh, by COVID. Most of them adapted to working from home. Um, so a lot of people with, uh, with um, you know, high income, their job did not really change. And they adapted and they started working. And some of them made even more money and uh, less expenses, as you said, because you don't go out, there's not really much of uh, places you spend your money on. There isn't vacation, so a lot more savings. So uh, in that sense, from real estate perspective, it didn't really uh, affect it. Also, manufacturing jobs, regardless of their income, high or low, 
those did not change. And those are a big sector of, of the economy. That is very true. And that's the thing, right? So like even myself, what I noticed is that um, throughout this thing, what has changed is location. And what I mean is there's a lot of people who are in the downtown sectors and the downtown condos that pretty much wanted to get out and get more space. I mean, if anything that has happened, this uh, pandemic has showed people how big or small their space truly is. So a lot of people I've noticed, like a lot of my sales in the last year have come from people who have left the GTA and have moved west, whether it's Grimsby, Hamilton, Burlington, Oakville. Well, Oakville's too expensive for this, but you know what I'm getting at, right? So the point I'm getting at is the fact that they've moved west to secure more land, right? Versus, you know, smaller land to be in the core. There's a lot more people working from home. And um, a good chunk of the people working from home are expecting to continue working from home most days. Whether that's true or not, we're going to find out. But I imagine some of the jobs will change. I don't think we're going to go back to what we were even once this thing is over. And I think I personally see the, 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 light, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not saying it's happening right now or in the next month or two, but I see an end to this. And what I mean by an end, where we have to constantly be on guard, whether, oh, is there going to be a lockdown? Are we going to be able to go out? What zone are we in this week? I see an end coming to that. Maybe not, like I said, not in a couple of months or something, but I can't imagine, you know, in a year from now, us being still in this zone. I can imagine we'll start having some sort of freedom, but even that freedom isn't going to be the same as it was, right? Like prime example, we even take Best Buy, they're even converting a lot of their stores to be almost warehousing. Like their store is becoming a display model. You order and it gets shipped to you. So it's less about the retail and more uh, about the showcase. So that's just a trend. That's only one trend that I've seen. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more of that and things are going to change. Even Amazon is buying up stores for warehousing. So that's obviously going to change the dynamic of the economy. Talking about the retail uh, economy, it, it was affected even before COVID. A lot of uh, chain stores were filing for bankruptcy or uh, closing down stores before COVID even before we even heard about COVID. Uh, the, the 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 change from for retail stores and malls to the online uh, that was happening even before COVID. I think COVID just speeded it up. Well, that's another thing I was going to say, and I said this at the beginning is that a lot of times, a lot of people said, oh, this is going to ruin the economy. And I thought, and I personally thought, and it was an opinion, that COVID didn't bring down a lot of the businesses. I'm not saying it didn't bring down every business. This doesn't apply to everything. But I'm saying there's a lot of businesses that were on the verge of going under anyways. And I think COVID just put turbo into that. They just, you know, gaslit everything and forced them to do it now. And, and, and you know, and instead of later. And it just, you know, you had people had to react and what we see is what happened. So that's true. Change. Look, yeah, exactly. I mean, things change all the time, right? You're either growing or dying and it's all about adapting. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, nobody likes to see businesses go down and I'm sure there'll be other businesses that will recoup and take its place and things will come. They will, and there will be new ones too. And there'll be new ones Absolutely. too, because they will be after COVID is done, everything closed, you're going to need to replace it. So. Uh, restaurants, uh, people are eager to go out and eat again. So restaurants are going to be new ones uh, again. Um, uh, entertainment uh, uh, spot, um, family entertainment for kids and stuff. That a lot of those are closing down right now because they cannot do anything. Like, you know, the uh, Sky Zone, for example, here in Kitchen and Clothes, that's uh, a good place for, for kids to go and jump at Trembling. But uh, those places are really there is uh, 
I wouldn't say need, but there is a demand for them. So as soon as COVID is done, um, if one place closed, another one will open instead. It's, it's going to be a business opportunity to somebody else. I agree with you 100%. Now, oh, feedback. Um, now, going back to like even mortgages, right? Like there's a lot of the times the biggest complaint I hear is it's hard to come up with a down payment, right? Do you have any strategies or ideas to tell somebody who's trying, you know, a first time buyer wants to get in the market and doesn't know where to start or what to do? Do you have any tips for them on what they could do to start coming up with the down payment, start saving for it? Down payment is one of the trickiest things. Um, some people obviously are lucky enough that they have family help them. Uh, sometimes um, uh, family, like parents or grandparents, take into the equity of their home, regardless if it's refinancing their mortgage or line of credit, or even some they will do, um, some grandparents, they will do a reverse mortgage um, to get some equity out of the house to you know help their grandkids while they're still alive. Um, and see on their own home uh, before you know their time comes. So uh, that's one thing uh, I've seen. The other one I've seen also, I would say uh, some regions like Region Guadalupe, uh, uh, Guelph has the same program. I think Peterborough, the uh, region had the same program. I'm not sure if they still do or not. But uh, basically, first time home buyer program. That that region or the city gives you. Uh, give the first-time home home buyers five uh, percent for uh, for the purchase of the home, with few strings attached. Usually, there's a limit for the income. Uh, there's a limit for the purchase price. I believe in the region for the Lou here, four thirty or four sixty or something like that. So, really, not enough, not enough for this market because right now, even a townhouse will be more expensive than that, most likely. Um, and uh, they give you the five percent. They register a second mortgage, basically, on the house for the five percent. Uh, and when you sell, if you sell within the first twenty years, you pay that five percent back. And whatever appreciation you have, you pay five percent of the appreciation to them. Uh, if you if you lose money, which is unlikely, they will take some five percent of the loss as well. Um, that's one thing. Uh, if you finish the 20 years, then they, the, the loan is uh, forgiven. If you stay the whole 20 years in the same house. So that's that's oh, one wow. thing. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's not for everybody. And unfortunately, with the, with the, with the market, um, like I have clients right now who are qualified for that. They have the approval from the region of Guadalupe, but they are shopping and they can't find anything with that price range for what they want. Right, so that is that is the issue with it. Um, a lot of people uh, move back with their parents. I have another client closing probably in, in, a, in the next couple of weeks, and uh, what they did is move back with their parents, have high income, they can rent easily, but instead of wasting the money or spending it on rent when you, you can you know uh, live with family, uh, save, and within really a, a year and a half or so, there was a good chunk for down payment because you're not paying rent. And plus, oh, as, as we said, COVID helped because people are not going out and spending. So that was that was another scenario. So it just controlling controlling your spending is, is one of the main things because a lot of uh, the young generations have uh, good disposable income, but um, a, a lot of spending, uh, a lot of spending, you know, uh, going, uh, going out with friends, 
keeping up with friends, another thing, right? Um, all those uh, people to spend more and um, not save as much. So I would say if, if you really want to get into the market and serious about it, budget, know your income exactly, budget exactly your spending, and stick with those budgets as much as you can. Uh, and you find yourself uh, saving. And whenever you get the chance to jump into the market, jump in. Makes total sense. Something you used to be able to buy hoses with five percent down. Is that still the case? Yes, five percent still the case. As long as the, up to five hundred thousand, the first five hundred thousand is five percent. If the price goes up to uh, above five hundred, anything above five hundred, all the way to a uh, dollar under a million, so nine hundred ninety nine, nine ninety nine. Uh, you do five percent for the first five hundred. 10% for the other one. So average about seven and a half. As long as you, as soon as you hit the million dollar and above, it has to be 20%. And the reason is uh, with the guidelines from the insurers like CMHC, Genworth or Canada Guarantee is uh, the insured guideline, the purchase price cannot be a million or above. As soon as it hit a million or above, it's not insured, insurable anymore. And therefore uh, you have to come up with a 20%. That guideline might change. We're hoping it will change because it doesn't make sense anymore. A million is not that expensive or high in this market anymore. So um, we're hoping that, that that number will change soon. But as of, as of right now, uh, anything a million or above, you have to come up with 20%. That makes sense. Now, what uh, is there any restrictions? Like, oh, you were saying something like about uh, insurance, right? So how does mm -hmm. that work? You have your 5%. And what, how does the charges for the insurance and stuff work? So when you have the 5%, let's say you're buying for, uh, for 500,000 purchase price, you have your 25,000. That's the 5% for that, right? You have that there, then your mortgage basically will be uh, 475. That will be, uh, there's a 4% charge added to that. So if you're paying 5% down payment, your, uh, your default insurance is 4%. If you're paying 10%, it's 3.1. If you're paying 15 to 20, it's uh, 2.8. So does that get added to your insurance? Or it, is it, that, no, um, it gets added to your mortgage. That's what I meant, sorry. Get it gets added, get added to your mortgage, and then it's, it, it, yeah, it's a one-time lump sum added to your mortgage, and you'll be paying it with the mortgage. It's not a monthly fee or anything like that. And the, and the default insurance, the another confusion I, I hear from people because they keep hearing so many kinds of insurance when you buy a house. Home insurance, default insurance, life insurance, there's so many of them. So default insurance it does not cover the house for any other reason. It's not insurance for the house. It's not insurance for your life. It's an insurance for the mortgage itself in case of default for the lender. So the whole program was created to to uh to basically secure the mortgages for the lenders so they can because anything above 80 percent loan to value is considered high risk so basically uh the company came in with the cmhc and basically said okay the clients will pay this much and we insure it so in case of the client default we will cover it we will cover the mortgage balance right so that is that is the whole point of uh of the default insurance so it makes the the lending practice is secure and safe. And that's one of the reasons it's uh, insured mortgages are have the cheapest rates in the market. That makes sense. I get that. Uh, 
So, okay, so yeah, so that's insurance. Um, now, obviously, there's different uh, terms for insurance. Like, there's 15, there's 20, 25, 30. What's the maximum that, you know, length a person can take? In the authorization? Yes. The authorization, uh, we're talking, if you are insured, the maximum is 25 years. So, if you're paying less than 20%, the max is 25. If uh, if it's uninsured, the max is 30 years. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So it's 30 years max. It's not 35. Um, mm, 35, there is what we call the alternative lenders sum. Depends on, on the situation. Uh, there's few lenders have those exceptions, but it's not that common. That makes sense. And uh, what about... Uh, a lot of things that come up. Hmm, I'm thinking about this because self-employed. Can self-employed people still get at mortgages? And how difficult is it? Of course they can. Uh, self-employed is way more complicated than regular income because um, we all know self-employed. The majority of them, the income, the gross income for the business is much higher than the income after after expenses when they claim the taxes. So uh, there is few different uh, scenarios for that. So if you are self-employed, there's programs uh, when they will look basically in your uh, in general notice assessment. If you're incorporated, we will look at your uh, financial statements as well to see if the business is making money year to year. Uh, and basically, the average of the last two years, and we base the income based on that. So again, it depends on the industry. So if you're, for example, uh, you work in IT, you don't really have much of uh, overhead expense. You don't have a lot of, you know, equipment like somebody working in construction, for example, right? Um, so for that, the, the in with the uh, with the reasonable approach, the, the the income could be increased a little bit higher than what it is on on the tax, and uh, you qualify based on the increase. But it has to make sense. Like I cannot say there is. Uh, uh, a straight answer for everybody is the same. It's not. It depends on really on the industry. So sometimes somebody on paper can 40 after tax uh, on their notice of assessment, but actually the gross is uh, 120. Uh, we have to look at the uh, what kind of business it is, what kind of expenses they claim, and maybe we can increase the income for 65, 70 and qualify the base of that. There is uh programs with some insurers to, to allow you to do that uh there's also uh another option which is with b lenders b lenders are alternative lenders uh, obviously the minimum down payment is 20 percent, but with them they don't really look at your income uh after tax it's about the bank statements for the business how much money you brought in uh, and uh deduct certain like reasonable expenses and then qualify your base of that so a lot of uh, self-employed uh, go direct. That makes sense. That makes total uh, sense. Um, so, um, darn, I'm having one of those moments. I had a question and I didn't want to interrupt you, so I let you finish. And now I came in and it's like, oh, what was I going to ask? <laughs> I will come back. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so where do you see the market coming? Like, where do you see the market going now? Like, what has been your experience? I mean, obviously it's going up, but do you think that the, the that the way things are today is going to sustain for a while, or do you think there's going to be some sort of, you know, like 
Now, I'm not saying a drop, but some sort of uh, normalcy. Uh, well, it depends on the supply. So if uh, the spring brings higher supply than, than what it is right now, and more people decide to sell, then yeah, probably uh, maybe that will not go as crazy as it is. Maybe the, the, the increase in the price will be much slower and, and somehow to, to the average increase or a little bit higher, but not increasingly higher than right now. Because if you see the market right now, we're March 3rd, I look at the market in December, which is about three months ago, not even, um, huge increase in the last few months. Yeah. That's like true. really big for, for only three months. So what, what I'm hoping for, and everybody is really hoping for, if they increase in the supply, there's increase in supply in the market, that would slow the market a little. But if, if there's no increase in supply, I don't see what else could slow this down. And especially the Bank of Canada, they just talked about it last year, and it doesn't seem like they want to do anything or any regulations to uh, to change uh, the market. They don't. They're not concerned with it. Uh, so I, I don't think anything is going to happen to uh, to change it as of right now. That's true. I want to go to investors, right? So just say I have a house. I've got 40% into the house. And I want to buy a rental unit. And my income will support the mortgage. We're going to assume that. Can I take 20% from my home equity and use that as my down payment? Yeah, you can use that as a down payment, of course. Okay. Yeah, we, I, we do that I, I, quite often. Refinance refinance the client's property or get a home equity line of credit, depends on the situation, and use that uh, towards uh, uh, towards uh, investment property. Okay, so is there any, uh, like what, what are the challenges that come from that? It, it depends on case by case and the clients and their income. So it, it comes down to the qualification. So I have to, any clients who want to do that, I sit down with them and look at their, the whole picture, their income, their credit, their liability, everything else, and see what would be the best scenario to make this work. How much equity is available in their home? How much can we take out? And how much they will qualify for for the other property? Sometimes they want to rent the current one if it's like smaller townhouse if they want to move to detach. Or sometimes they are living in a nice home detached or whatever and they just want to buy a condo to rent or a townhouse. Um, so it depends on, on the clients of the situation, but I assist the whole thing then based on the picture, their income and credit and liability and uh, equity available in the current home. Um, we, I give them the options and they decide what, what to do, but uh, it's quite doable. And, a lot of people will actually do it. That makes sense. Uh, Let me ask you. I remember what I was going to ask you about. Bank versus mortgage broker. Like some people are programmed to go straight to the bank to get their mortgage. Um, and if one bank says no, they're going to go to another bank and try. Um, what are the advantages, disadvantages? Should they even look at the bank or should they go straight to the mortgage brokers? How do they defer basically? Well, I would tell you uh, what I would say is go to the uh, go to the mortgage uh, mortgage broker instead of uh, instead of the bank because that is where you have more options. Because with the banks, you're gonna go to whoever bank. I don't want to say a specific name, but any bank you go to, that's gonna be gonna offer you products. That's it. Their products, their rates, 
and that's all you have. Um, that's that's one thing. When when you come to a movie broker, you have access to multiple lenders, multiple options, depends on the scenario, and then the the, the broker will tell you which which option will be better for you and advise you accordingly, and then you choose based on the options in front of you. Um, also, uh, the communication. Uh, when you're dealing with uh, with mortgage agents like myself, you contact me, you have my cell phone, you have my uh, my email, we can communicate all the time, especially right now with the, with this hot market, you wanna put an offer on a property, you wanna make sure you qualify, maybe it's a bit higher than the budget that I told you after we do the pre-approval. You call me or you message me like, hey, I get a lot of those calls on Saturday and Sunday when people put an offer. I'll be like, I want to put an offer on this property. Here's the details. Here's the the, the, the property tax. Here's the condo fees. Uh, and can you can you run the numbers for me and see if it works? So that is something you will not get usually with uh, with uh, with the bankrupt because most of them they don't work in the weekend. Good luck finding them on Monday, but you want to put an offer today on Saturday on Sunday. So that that's a huge difference right there. Also, experience. We we have we have obviously multiple options with the A lenders, alternative lenders, B and private, and all of that. But also, uh, solutions and experience. Because when uh, and, and new buyers come to me, I explain a lot of things to them, especially the ones who went to a bank before, and then somebody advised them to come talk to me, and then they talk to me like, "Wow, what a huge difference!" Because the other person did not talk about anything but the rate. They had no idea what else is associated with the, with, with the mortgage. No, no idea what penalties. Nobody, no idea about different uh, uh, options of variable and fixed and what each entail. None of that. So there is no education. They just be like, yeah, we have this rate. Fine here. That's it. There isn't much. A lot of them, I'm not going to say everybody, but a lot of them, they don't really educate their clients on their options and what they should do. Um, I, I, I know there's a lot of people comfortable with going to the banks because they, they think, uh, you know, it's right there. I've been with them for 20 years or whatever. And sometimes they think people, oh, I've been with them for 20 years. I know I can I can get uh, the best service with them or whatever. But sometimes if, if you slip with your payments or credit, there is no there is no special treatment. It's the same the same thing. Definitely. Now, here's another thing, right? Is it possible for someone who's gone to a bank and they've gone to the bank and they've gotten uh, rejected for the mortgage? what if they go to a mortgage broker is there a possibility that the mortgage broker can help them you know step beyond that i'm, I'm sorry can you repeat that again said when somebody goes to the bank they get rejected on their mortgage for whatever reason and we're never going to know the reason is, is there times where that happens but they can go to a mortgage broker and a mortgage broker can provide them with other options and still get them approved. yes or yes uh, i've dealt with those situations a lot sometimes uh because the approval was not done through uh, the underwriting process and somebody just didn't really do, like in the rep, they didn't do their due diligence and they told them, yeah, you qualify for this much based on numbers the client provider or old outdated documents. And then they go and put an offer and then it doesn't work out. And then they come to me and try to solve the situation with other options. Um, I've, I've dealt with uh, quite a few of those when clients have something with uh, with the banks or the bank said no, and then we find them a better solution or another solution. So yeah, there's always an option. It goes back to the point of why a mortgage broker is a better option than going straight to the bank because of the options. Correct. The second thing I was, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I was going to ask you something now. Again, it slipped my mind. Um, I'm trying not to cut off people like I usually do. <laughs> um, 
yeah, okay. So we talked about your mortgage brokers versus banks. And yeah, mortgage broker versus banks. I was going somewhere with this. Um, oh, credit ratings. What how, does credit ratings affect the interest rate you're going to get? Uh, on, on the A side, no. Uh, if you have, uh, if you meet the, the, the threshold required by the lender and there is no um, negative details anymore, because sometimes people have 700 credit score, which meets the threshold, but the details not favorable. So they have something in collection still there, or they have uh, missed mortgage payments payments in the past, which is one of the worst thing you can do. If, if clients see, if lenders see most missed mortgage payments in the past, um, that is something uh, they don't really uh, overlook easily. Uh, so if, if you meet all of that, then the rate is the same, regardless of where, where your credit, uh, where your credit stands. But with the, with the alternatively uh, lenders, B lenders, uh, regardless of the details, um, the number makes a difference, yes. If you're above 680, you get certain rates. If you're 640 and under, you get certain rates. There's lenders, what we'll do clients on the 500, even credit ratings on the B side, and uh, but they get a different rate than the ones who are 600 or, or more. That makes sense. Um, how, what, what's the threshold? How does that, how does that work? Like, if you get a credit score, and just say my credit is 690, does that mean I'm not going to get approved at an A lender? Like no, 690 is fine. Six, uh, actually, I'm 620. And even in the past, they've been doing the whole file and who was else with you. I got one before with 600, but their uh, their co-borrower had a higher rate. So it works. Sometimes uh, 620 usually, I would say, is the minimum. But again, depends on the details. Because when you are at, at that numbers, there are reasons why you're that low. So you either that low because you know you have collections still active in your file, you have uh, a previous consumer proposal or bankruptcy, um, then those are negative things. You really have a hard time getting a mortgage even with your credit at 620. Or was it higher civilization? So sometimes people credit is clean. They never miss the payment. They don't have a bankruptcy. They don't have a collection. But the issue is they've been carrying so much debt. They have. Uh, line of credit and credit cards almost up to the max and that's been happening for the last few months right three six months that start dragging your uh, credit score negatively down so when it's like around that just high utilization it's looked at it as easily favorable and easily fixed because as soon as you pay those off your credit will move quite quickly but if if it was something else like negatively like the similar proposal collection it's it's a different story Right, which brings up So, speaking of credit, right? Like, pretend I'm about two years away from where I want to buy it, like, to, to buying a house, to having my down payment and everything. And I've got, uh, how do I handle credit, basically? Obviously, if I have all my credit cards maxed, I have my line of credit maxed, everything's maxed, I have a car loan and everything, that's going to affect me negatively, right? So, pretend I have, between car loan, credit cards and line of credit, I've got about $29,000 of debt, but I'm two years away from buying. What would you advise me to do and how would you advise me to do it? Like what could I do to make sure that my credit is in, is in optimum shape? So if like the car loan is not an issue because you have a set payment, so it's not a concern, but if line of credits and credit cards are up to the max, so 
I will try to lower your uh, uh, your debt level by not passing about 70% of your limit. So if you're limit 10,000 in your credit card and you're carrying 9,000 for the last few months, that's gonna affect it negatively. So you wanna drop that under seven or less if you can. So you pay as much as you can every month to drop it or anything that's close to 70% or more of the credit limit. Um, and make sure you never miss a payment in those two years. So if your credit as good as right now, the only thing is that the high utilization, that's easily fixed. Just pay it quickly uh, over the last, uh, the next few years uh, and don't make it reach that point again. Make sure you don't reach that point again, right? And don't ever miss a payment. That's one of the things you don't want to miss. Don't miss a payment on your credit card. Don't be delayed 30 days, 40 days. I don't care if you travel, you're on vacation, whatever it is, it's, it's, uh, the system is all electronic, so they don't understand your circumstances. They don't understand your travel, your overseas, your sick. If you don't know uh, or you always forget, just make sure you have uh, pre-authorized payment uh, directly from your account or your credit card if you, if you, if you know you forget. Uh, make sure you put note in your phone or something, a reminder. As soon as you get paid, uh, you're paying this much to your credit card, so you get the notification and you do it right away so you don't forget. Just make sure you never forget your payment. Also, um, cell phones and internet. Those are also like with Rogers, Bell, Telus, Virgin, whatever your uh, provider is, they are reported to credit bureau. So make sure you don't delay on those either. That makes sense. Yes, I think so the key takeaway I got was that basically make sure that, uh, that you never take more than 70% of the available credit. You can, I'm not saying you can't, but as long as you lower it right away. So you, you, let's say your limit is 10,000, you bought something for 9,000 with a credit card, that's okay. But you're planning on paying like at least 2,000 before you know, uh, the end of the cycle of your, your credit card. So you're lowering it to seven or six, so that's okay. But if you used it to the max and you stayed in the max there between the nine and eight for two, three, four months, your credit starts slowly. Uh, and you staying know, staying below those 70% tends to help you raise your credit. Yeah, so as I said, passing it is not an issue as long as you drop it down within the month quickly. Do not let it sit there over 70% for months at a time. Perfect. Well, Leo, it's uh, been about 50 minutes. I want to be respectful of your time. Do you have any last words of advice to the viewers? Uh, where to begin? There's so many things. <laughs> As I said, the, the credit, the credit advice you heard it, the, the down payment you heard it. Uh, when you wanna shop for a mortgage, don't be uh, just concerned about the rate. It's like you're going to buy a car. You're not gonna just go buy the cheapest car. What is the cheapest car? You don't go to a car dealer like, hey, what is the cheapest car you have? You wanna ask about what features this mortgage has. What features this car has? Does it have backup camera? What are the features you're looking for? Look at the details. If, you, if, if, if a salesperson comes to you and be like, yeah, buy this car, it's the cheapest in the market, but you don't know any details, you don't just jump on it. You wanna look more and see if it fits your needs. Same thing with the mortgage. You wanna see, talk to somebody with experience and understand what are your options are and then see what meets your needs. I'm not saying the rates are not important, but they're not everything. So ask questions, find more details, um, ask about penalties. People always ignore them. Always think of like, oh no, I'm staying. Uh, I'm staying five years. You don't. If you don't want to buy uh, five years, you can do two years term. 
But if you want to do five years, ask about the penalty because this is a huge thing. And a lot of people say, I'm not breaking my mortgage. But statistically speaking, six out of 10 people break the mortgage within the first 36 months. So be aware of that. Um, variable. Variable rate is a really good option. A lot of people ignore it. It's very good. Right now, the rates for variable are very low. Even with the fixed and increasing, the variable is still low, like uh, 1.4, 1.45, 1.5, depends on the lender and the circumstances of, of, uh, uh, of the client. But yeah, there's low rates. And um, the, the variable rate, uh, according to the Bank of Canada, is not going up to at least 2023. And then they will adjust accordingly based on the economy at the time. That's, uh, that's really it, John. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, cancellation fees because I've seen a lot of people that sell their house, they try to get out of their mortgage and uh, not naming names, but their mortgage company wants 30 grand to get out of it. And like, that's astronomical. And it's like, you would think somebody would have explained that before they signed or they would have read it. But we know people look at things quickly. So yes, things like that. Yes, that, that, that's never explained. But also uh, with all fairness though, that the, the, the fixed rates in general, um, they have a higher penalty, but last year and this year became even more because the drop in the rate and the higher the drop in the rate, the market it is like, because basically the, the lender is going to compare what kind of rate they have right now with you in your contract and what kind of return they're going to get when they get, put the money back in the market. And right now the rate dropped drastically. So the, the return in the money right now is not the same. So because of that, the penalty increased and increased a lot. Um, so yeah, the, the, the rate drop did not help the situation in, in those uh, those conditions. So a lot of people come to me and be like, oh, I got a, a, a mortgage last year or the year before, and I want to take advantage of the low rates. First thing I ask is to look at the penalty, because if it's too high, it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. And um, I agree with you. And I've seen that, you know, and they've even been on TV where like they've been interviewed about it happening. It's just, it's crazy how, you know I mean? It's, and I'll be honest, even that's something I would have never even thought of if I didn't see it. Like it never, it would have never even occurred to me. So it's a very, very valuable point there. I want to thank you for being on the show and uh, it's been very informative. And like I said, I want to respect your time. So, um, you know, thanks again for coming on. We'll have you again soon and uh, talk about more stuff that happens. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, you know, Thanks again. We'll talk soon. It was my pleasure, John. You take care. You too.